Yankees Files podcast. We are back. I'm Will Harris, your Alec Whipple, and the rest of you are here, presumably, for the offseason preview. Whipple, we have both planned out a Yankees 26-man roster for the 2024 team. And let me tell you, these teams that we've put together are damn good. And frankly, I'd like to see the Yankees adopt many of our suggestions for next year's team. But before we get into all that, how are you doing? I'd like the Yankees to adopt my early suggestion when you accidentally got a draft of mine and noticed it had 27 men. I think the real key is just have an extra guy. Nobody notices. You get the hidden advantage. And you know what? Like if they catch you, they catch you. But if they don't, you get to play with an extra guy. So that was uh, that was the summary of my my offseason planning. My, the lesson learned is should have an extra guy. The, the 27 no men. Yeah, there's no like violation for it. I mean, there probably is, but. I'm sure there is. But the 27th <laughs> man was a good idea. I think, right. you know, modern problems require innovative solutions, right? And you offered one in my opinion, which is just have more dudes. Yeah. Um, I don't remember exactly, and we won't spoil who's on your roster. I won't, I don't remember exactly whose inclusion it was that made it 27 guys. It was an interesting list. It was different in many relevant ways from the one you ultimately put forth, but it was, look, better to have 27 than 26. Yeah, I think we'll definitely have to talk about some of the considerations we made and, you know, who was who got cut from the 26 slash 27 man roster. Um, I had a lot of fun with the exercise and I don't know if the real life Yankees are having as much fun now trying to work through what is probably going to be a pretty consequential offseason for them. But I, I will say that I can't really remember a first two weeks of the offseason that while nothing has really happened, has been quite so newsworthy for reasons both good and bad and and th things we'll talk about but make no mistake the new york yankees are squarely in the baseball discourse the headlines right now they're back if the level of being back is just how much you're being talked about there these yankees are not irrelevant and that's at least something different because i think from july to october they largely were kind of irrelevant speaking of relevant whipple we have been the main characters of Twitter a few times recently. And I'll start off with the time that you made us the main characters of Twitter because it was a far less dubious honor, although I will be defending the instances in which it was my doing. Um, it, it's been a weird couple weeks in Yankee land. There has been perceived tension between the front office and ownership. Brian Cashman has been speaking in public with absolutely no filter. Um, I've avoided telling my grandmother what he said because I don't want her to hear me using that language. And it's it's just been weird how Steinbrenner has been suggesting that certain blocks or coalitions exist that may not include the general manager and may include Aaron Judge. And Brian Cashman has been defending his organization and the the people who are in it and it's just been a weird time so you have a much more interesting take on this than i do perhaps one informed by watching a bit too much succession but 
let us let us have it. Walk, it. walk us through how you made us the main characters of Twitter one day. It, it's a combination of succession and and being in uh, corporate law right now. I think yeah. <laughs> my mind is very uh, you know power struggle centered, and honestly, it kind of started back in August when we were getting conflicting reports from multiple sides of Yankees, the Yankees news beat of what was going to happen after the season. And there was kind of one block that said there's going to be an audit. No one was safe. You know, it was going to be torn to the studs. Everything was going to be looked at. And then almost the next day we got the response that no, you know, everything was going to be fine. Nobody's job was unsafe. This was a lot less than people perceived. And the pattern of conflicting reports continued in the Juan Soto trade discourse, when we got conflicting reports, did the Yankees talk to the Padres? Did they not talk to the Padres? And I think the third kind of piece of evidence is what happened a few or last week where Hal Steinbrenner came out and said, you know, I'm disappointed. We're going to, you know, we're going to look at everything. He's very, I'm going to look at it. Aaron Judge is advising me. And then Brian Cashman came out and said, you know, my guys are the best guys. They were doing really well he was defending his his staff which is very fair but like definitely a kind of defensive posture that he took and in my mind i think the vision of cashman as a steinbrenner you know he's got the job for life he can do whatever he wants it's all arrogance that is driving the way he talks to people and refers to his team is kind of subsumed by the vision of the divisions in the yankees land kind of growing stronger and stronger and we know randy levine is a very vibrant personality in the team we know he's been there a long time and we know that he's been involved in a number of free agent deals and i think right now the divide seems to be you know who has steinbrenner's ear is it levine is it judge is it cashman and i guess what i have been just kind of compiling evidence for is that the dissensions are growing greater and greater we haven't really seen this in a while if ever and I think there's a lot bigger of a divide than people think. I don't know what practical implications that has for the team. I think right now you'd be stupid to think anyone's going to get fired. But I think the way they approach this offseason could be interesting in terms of who's making the calls, where this goes from here, what the result is if the team underperforms in 2024. My takeaway is just Brian Cashman has a lot less job security than a lot of people perceive. And when he's under fire, we know he pushes back punches you know in the Derek Jeter contract negotiations in the Alex Rodriguez uh, probably the last time I remember him speaking like this was when he told A-Rod to shut up through the media <laughs> so yeah I, I I don't know if there's a conclusion and maybe I have been watching a little too much succession but a lot of people seem to be open or appreciate the take that you know kind of contradicts the Cashman and Steinbrenner teaming up to deprive us all of happiness and leaning more towards the there's a kind of a power struggle going on and we're seeing the first seeds of it manifest in a way that we haven't really seen with the Yankees in a number of years. So that's what I submitted. And I think um, we'll, we'll see the evidence definitely keeps weighing in my favor though, but it's hard to tell when you don't have inside access. What do you make of Hal coming out and saying, I don't approve of the swearing, but I feel like cash was on the right page. I think it's hard to judge like what people say in like a statement like that. And I noticed he didn't comment on a lot besides giving that overall statement. You know, it's his business. He's got to manage it. I think it's in his best interest to keep everyone happy. And I don't 
think that any part of this is Hal turning his back on Cashman and saying, like, you don't have power. I think it's just like, who am I listening to more? You know, where have my loyalties kind of shifted? Or maybe it's just Cashman perceiving that. And now Hal's trying to, you know, assuage him through the, the press. I don't know. I just think there's so many dynamics. This is probably the opposite of the stuff that interests you because it not, has nothing to do with statistics and nothing to do with anything you can prove. But you know what? That's why we're both on the pod because I'm about the narratives. I'm about the speculation. And we'll see what happens. Yeah, I don't, I don't honestly know what to make of it. I feel like if there were some great rift in the Yankees management, they would be it would be weird for them to have a power struggle in the media to try to sort it out. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. But um it it strikes me as weird. I think they're I think and I hope, so maybe one of those is clouding the other, that there's less to this than you see. But the one thing that I can't deny is it's quite clear this is a different way that Cashman and Hal are treating one another publicly than we've ever seen before. And to see that and conclude that there's absolutely nothing to it, I don't think would be fair of me. But I do wonder if there's as much to it as people such as you are suggesting. However, the Twitter audience really liked it. And... I'm going to tell you about some things the Twitter audience really didn't like. <laughs> so Morty Milgram, who's a great Twitter account, uh, was posting some questions on Twitter the other day. And one of them had to do with the perception of Bernie Williams. And I have an unpopular opinion about Bernie Williams, but the thing about unpopular opinions is unpopular and wrong are not necessarily synonyms. And my unpopular opinion about Bernie Williams is correct. And I posted it on the internet. My correct unpopular opinion about Bernie Williams is that Yankees fans overrate him. Bernie Williams was a terrific player. He was an adequate center fielder who was a phenomenal hitter who was a key player, frequently the best player, on many of the best teams the Yankees have had in recent history. All of that is true. Bernie Williams was terrific. The notion among Yankees fans that Bernie Williams was a better player than some of the best players of all time is truly insane. So I decided I would see how far Yankees Twitter would go. Bernie Williams and Kirby Puckett are really similar players. Uh, Kirby Puckett's career was cut short due to injury, so he doesn't have as many plate appearances as Bernie, or not injury, glaucoma. I want to be clear about that. It wasn't like his body broke down. He had just like a disease that he couldn't do anything about. Um, so Kirby Puckett had to stop playing baseball about two full seasons faster than Bernie Williams did. They have very similar stats when it comes to war. Bernie was the superior offensive player. Puckett was a better defender and base runner. So I figured I'd see, like, how, how does Yankees Twitter perceive these guys? So I put up a poll. And by a two-to-one margin, Yankees Twitter said Bernie Williams was the better player. So I said I have to pick a better player and see how they compare. So I picked Bobby Abreu, whose peak is basically indistinguishable from Bernie's, from offense, war, whatever you want to look at. 
Uh, but he was also a very productive player outside of his peak. And Bernie wasn't. And Abreu is about a 60 war player. Bernie's about a 50 war player. And by a three to one margin, people picked Abreu. Or sorry, people picked Bernie over Abreu. 75% to 25% Bernie over Abreu, which is asinine. Like Bernie Williams was a terrific player. He was not the player that Bobby Abreu was because outside of his prime, Bernie Williams was very, very bad. He was nothing special at the beginning of his career, and he was the worst player in all of Major League Baseball from 2003 to 2006. And that's not all his fault. He did get hurt, and he was asked to play center field for far longer than he should have. But to act like Bernie Williams was good outside of his peak is ridiculous, and that's why he was a clearly worse player than Bobby Abreu. So then I said, okay, I need to take this even farther. And this is where Twitter started getting really mad. I don't know why. Carlos Beltran is one of two players in the history of Major League Baseball with 300 stolen bases, 400 home runs, and 550 doubles. He has like 67 war. He was a phenomenal defensive center fielder when he was asked to play center field. He is by rate the best playoff hitter of all time. He is the only 300, 400, 600 playoff hitter with at least 200 playoff plate appearances. And he has like almost 20 more war than Bernie Williams. And by a three to two margin, 60% to 40%, Yankees fans voted that Bernie Williams was a better player than Carlos Beltran. My take, let's go back to the beginning. My take, was that Yankees fans overrate Bernie Williams. Yankees fans then voted that Bernie Williams was a clearly better player than Kirby Puckett, than Bobby Abreu, and then Carlos Beltran. What conclusion am I supposed to draw from that? And then on top of that, the ire that people had for the take, then that Yankees fans overrate Bernie Williams. Like, Whipple, what am I missing here? I have acknowledged a million times that Bernie Williams was a terrific player who was key to many great teams. He doesn't have to then be a top 10 center fielder of all time. What's the disconnect? I mean, I think it's the lens in which, you know, the Yankees fans are voting. And you probably picked, like, the player who, one of the players, I think, whose Yankees career and actual career probably had the greatest gap in Beltran. And you paired him against a guy who's beloved playoff hitter. Like, I think it kind of, for Abreu and Beltran, the perception that Yankees fans have is a lot different than what their careers were really like. And yeah, I could get how if you watch Carlos Beltran from 2014 to 2016 or Bobby Abreu for a year and a half, like you think they're worse than Bernie Williams. But I think that, I mean, that in my mind is like the biggest and most prominent example. You know, neither of those guys had playoff success for the Yankees and Bernie Williams did. But it kind of goes to like, you know, are Yankees fans going to pick Jeter or A-Rod being better? Like they're going to pick Jeter. and. It's a perception thing. It's a overrating. But do you think Yankees fans would say by such margins that Derek Jeter was a better player than Cal Ripken Jr.? I would think I I, I would bet it's closer than you think. Okay, then Yankees fans overrate Derek Jeter. Yeah, but we know that. Like we don't. (laughs) I'm not. None of. I feel like I wouldn't get crucified on the internet for saying Yankees fans overrate Derek Jeter. Like I feel like people understand that Derek Jeter gets talked about like a top five player of all time when he's really a top twenty five player of all time. Here, here's another thing, though. I think Bernie Williams kind of has the chip of being underrated. And so you're now putting an opposite narrative that people like 
like I think Bernie Williams has become beloved for being underrated and out of the core four. So like the take that he's overrated is kind of like an affront to like what, you know, the the campaign that people have been carrying on to properly rate him. But like it's possible also to become underrated and then acknowledged enough and become overrated. Like this exactly. is it's what's happening to Kyle Tucker. Yeah. This is the Kyle Tucker situation is it used to be trendy to be like, oh my God, Kyle Tucker is a top 15 player in baseball and nobody's talking about it. And then over the course of the last two years, everyone started talking about it, but the narrative did not change from Kyle Tucker's the most underrated player in baseball. So he's not. Yeah. And in the same way, everyone is like, oh my God, we didn't appreciate Bernie Williams enough at the time. Oh my God, what a great player. The fact that he was a great player does not mean that he should suddenly be that his exclusion from the hall of fame is egregious or that he's a better player than Carlos Beltran. Like we need to be able to acknowledge that the, the same difference in production exists between Bernie Williams and Carlos Beltran that exists between like Mark Teixeira and Miguel Cabrera. Where are the people who are arguing that Mark Teixeira had a better career than Miguel Cabrera? They're not there because it's a ridiculous thing to believe. Yeah, I mean, also, the other thing with Beltran is you you factor in sign stealing. I mean, I would love to know if you asked all these Yankees fans, like, what are your top memories of Carlos Beltran? It probably is all sign stealing. Like, do people actually remember moments that he played for the Yankees? I, I would but say no. it's not no, about but, him being on the Yankees. Yeah, but, like, people aren't going to remember when he played for the Yankees, much less his pre-Yankees career. They're going to remember the sign stealing, and they're going to remember, you know, a guy who was not a Hall of Fame-level talent for the Yankees. But, but yeah, I mean, like, like you under plenty of fans understand that Gary Sheffield should probably be in the Hall of Fame. He wasn't, like, the greatest Yankee of all time. Right, but if you took, you know, Gary Sheffield and compared him to, like, I don't know, Tino Martinez. I, maybe that's like too much, but I think there's a lot more examples. I think Yankees fans them. understand that Gary Sheffield was better than Paul O'Neill. Okay. Do these polls. I, I, I actually feel like you might be surprised by the results in a bad way. Well, then Yankees fans overrate everyone. And yeah, I'm the but... only objective person out here. Anyway, speaking of that, a lot of people got mad when I said that Yankees fans overrate Bernie Williams and Yankees fans responded by doing that exact thing. Then I came out with a, a take that I believe very strongly as well. And I'm right about this too. And that's that David Ortiz is overrated. I mean, and this was a, a widely misinterpreted and misrepresented take. It led to us being veritably harassed by Red Sox Twitter, which is par for the course. And as I said, just widely misinterpreted. So here's the point about David Ortiz. He did steroids. Not only that, David Ortiz is a DH who, depending on which war you prefer, had between 51 and 55.3 war. He had fewer than 2,500 hits. He wasn't a 300 hitter for his career. He has meaningfully fewer war than the only other full-time, truly full-time DH in the Hall of Fame, which is Edgar Martinez. If you want to throw in Frank Thomas, you're welcome to. It will only make Ortiz's case weaker. So let's let's go with just Edgar. Uh, he's connected to steroids at least as much as a guy like Sammy Sosa or Gary Sheffield is. In that he failed that 2003 test and Rob Manfred instructed people to selectively ignore it. None of this, as far as I'm concerned, means that David Ortiz shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, but. 
David Ortiz getting into the Hall of Fame raises a lot of questions about what a Hall of Famer is. Is a Hall of Famer anyone with 51 Fangraphs war? Is that what a Hall of Famer is? Is it anyone with 55 Fangraphs war and 2,400 hits? How much is his playoff success worth? A lot of people told me that, uh, you know, David Ortiz's thing is all about his place in baseball history and what a playoff legend he was and all these moments he's associated with. Okay. If that's the case, then we should be able to assign some value to his playoff success. Who's the worst player who could have David Ortiz's playoff success and reputation and, and be a Hall of Famer? Is it Eric Chavez, who's about a 40-war player? Like, who is it? I think that's an interesting question. And, you know, Red Sox fans got triggered and they responded in all the predictable ways. Like, one thing they said is, uh, oh, well, Derek Jeter's overrated. Yeah, Derek Jeter is overrated. People treat Derek Jeter like he was a top five player in baseball history, and he obviously wasn't. But, and in that way, Derek Jeter and David Ortiz are two sides of the same coin because they both have outsized reputations in the history of baseball that they earned, but that are not symmetrical to their regular season production. The difference is being a 70 war shortstop, which is what Derek Jeter is, is a ticket to the Hall of Fame easily, every time. Especially being a 70-war player with 3,400 hits. All of those guys, with the exception of Pete Rose, are in the Hall of Fame. David Ortiz, like the Hall of Fame isn't teeming with 50 to 55-war designated hitters. So David Ortiz's induction into the Hall of Fame raises some questions. Should Johnny Damon be in the Hall of Fame? Should Chet Lemon be in the Hall of Fame? Should Jim Wynn be in the Hall of Fame? Certainly Lance Berkman, Gary Sheffield, Todd Helton, Dwight Evans, Willie Davis, all of those guys should be in the Hall of Fame. Why are they not? And I think it. when I say David Ortiz is overrated, I mean that his being in the Hall of Fame when a bunch of players who are at least equally deserving, many of them more deserving, are not, by definition makes him overrated. And I'm right about that. And people can be mad about it and people can misinterpret it and people can misrepresent it. But it's just so obviously true. David Ortiz, if you look at a lot of the stats that get you into the Hall of Fame, war particularly, is one of the more questionable Hall of Famers, especially one of the more questionable first ballot voted on by the writers Hall of Famers. And it's fair to point that out. Yeah, I mean, I think David Ortiz did... Okay, I mean, maybe this is an even hotter take, but, like, he didn't hit... He had three good postseason runs, but, like, his postseason numbers are not so inordinately better than everyone else who is, like, at the top of the leaderboard. I mean, they're not even as good as Carlos Beltran's. No, they're not. I mean, <laughs> by some metrics, they're not even as good as Bernie Williams. <laughs> Depending but, on what you look at. But, like, I think that, like, I agree, like, with your take. And I know we talked about this two years ago. I remember we both said, like, I think you left him off your ballot. I think yeah, he's but the I back was doing I, I was doing a bit. So first of all, I would not have voted David Ortiz on the first ballot just because there's a limit of guys on the ballot, and there were more deserving guys who had spent more time on the ballot who were not going to get in, who you couldn't waste a vote on David Ortiz for. But I was also doing a bit on that episode where I only voted for like former Yankees and <laughs> one other guy who I can't remember. Um, so I ended up voting for like. I, I don't remember who it was, but it was something oh, like fair. I voted for Javier Vasquez and like Carl Pavano instead of like Scott Rowland or something. 
anyway. Yeah. No, I mean, but still, I think we both kind of came to the consensus that like he, if we're doing 10 best players on the ballot, he's either at the back half or he's not on, or he shouldn't yeah. be on the first ballot. And that doesn't mean that like he shouldn't be in the hall of fame, but clearly he's not as good as these other players. And if you put a poll of him versus Edgar Martinez, I probably know who I think yeah. would win. Maybe not on our Twitter. Cause we're pretty Yankee centric, but like generic poll. I mean, the guy, David Ortiz is like the classic definition of an overrated guy. Like it's just textbook. And so that's not to say that he wasn't essential and Red Sox successor part of like the lore of baseball history. But if you're going to that, it probably means you're overrated. Like if that's your argument, yeah, if you're, you're probably if, missing something. If the main component of your candidacy is can't tell the story of baseball without him, it means what you did on the field is questionable and what david ortiz did on the field is questionable he is the sixth worst qualified base runner of all time he provided zero well actually greatly negative defensive value by not being able to play defense like people are mad about the positional adjustment for the dh as if defense isn't a thing that's important like do you want to take ozzy smith out of the hall of fame barry larkin like what are we what are we doing here um, it's ridiculous. And, and I think if we were having this conversation about other Red Sox, like the last thing I would say is that this is not an anti-Red Sox take. Like, look at someone like Manny Ramirez. Not a I have defender, long advocated like, for Manny Ramirez to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, the guy crushed baseballs. His war laps or teases. He should yep. be in the Hall and probably could find a few other Red Sox. But I think that's kind of the paradigm in my mind for those two where – Red Sox fans probably would say Ortiz is a better player and it can be wrong. Yeah, clearly wasn't. And that's yeah. us having a pro Manny Ramirez take on a Yankees podcast. So you can't accuse us of bias. I also just said that Dwight Evans is one of the far more egregious uh, Hall of Fame exclusions up there with Dwight Evans. Greg Nettles. Greg Nettles should be in the Hall of Fame far better than David Ortiz. So Whipple, it's been almost half an hour. Let's get down to what we're here to talk about. And that is our plans to make the Yankees great this offseason. So what Whipple and I both did, and what you'll see on the screen shortly if you are watching on YouTube or Spotify, is we put together 26-man rosters, 13 position players, 13 pitchers, that we think are realistically attainable for this team. We didn't pay a whole ton of attention to money, um, but... We kind of did. Like We, we kind of did. Neither of us added, like a billion like neither of us added Yamamoto and Otani and yeah. Soto and Bellinger like the, way, like the way I thought about it was like stay in the ballpark and if you're going to take on money offset somewhere but like yeah. not like the accounting to get the numbers under luxury tax I think that's exactly. a more fun way to do it exactly and like the Yankees should just spend money anyway so this oh, is yeah. partially positive and partially normative like the Yankees ought to operate more like the way we are describing them operating here. So let's dive in. Sounds good. So this is my roster. It is not all that different from what the Yankees have today because I think the Yankees are a pretty good team today. And I know that's going to bother some people, but I was saying it all season. If the Yankees ran it back with the healthy guys on their roster and a few changes, they're probably going to be a pretty good team. I think the greatest example of that is like, look at the projections for Carlos Rodon. The guy doesn't suck. So no changes to DH or catcher. 
You got Stanton, Wells, Trevi. Goodbye, Kyle Higashioka. In the outfield, I have Aaron Judge, Kevin Kiermeyer waiting to be replaced at midseason by Jason Dominguez. It hurts my heart to put Kevin Kiermeyer on the Yankees, but I think it makes sense for the money and for the ability to play a competent to very good center field every day as they wait for the Martian to come back. I have them trading for Juan Soto. I don't have any changes to the infield. I don't feel great about DJ LeMahieu as the full-time third baseman. I'd really like Matt Chapman, but I left him off because I don't think the Yankees are going to give out all of the money that that would require them giving out. And on the bench, we've got Peraza, Pereira, Cabrera. Just run with the kids. Um, I don't think they'd be the centerpieces of any trades. And obviously, the only big trade I've made, the only trade really I've made at all um, on this roster is for Soto. I have the Yankees losing the Yamamoto sweepstakes and settling for Shota Imanaga, who is projected to be quite a good pitcher. I'd be very excited for the Yankees to have him. And then in the bullpen, it's all the usual suspects. Basically, nobody gets brought back who isn't scheduled to be back. And then they add Matt Moore, who has been my bullpen white whale for a while now. This team projects to get 27.9 fan graphs war from its top 10 hitters and to produce a 120 WRC plus only three teams got more than 27.9 fan graphs war from all their position players last year. And only one team, the Braves was above a 120 WRC plus. So those would both be phenomenal offensive outcomes for this team. Starting pitchers are projected to throw little under 800 innings at a 3.8 ERA and produce 13.6 fan graphs war. 13.6 Fangraphs war from starters would have put them sixth in baseball in 2023, just ahead of the Blue Jays and the Rangers, ahead of also such teams as Atlanta, Miami, Houston, Milwaukee, Arizona, Baltimore, um, notably the New York Yankees. Uh, that's a lot of war to get from your starting pitchers. So, I think this is an achievable roster. You'll notice Clark Schmidt isn't on it. I think he's a reasonable piece to lose in a Soto trade. I think that trade would likely also include some of the minor league arms who we're excited about, whether that's, you know, whatever combination that is of guys like Drew Thorpe, Chase Hampton, Will Warren, you know, just the the very good arms that the Yankees have cultivated down there. And then... There's really not a lot else that changes. Like you can look at these projections. The guys that the Yankees have should hit. And if those guys hit, if you get a 114 WRC plus from Rizzo, 114 from Stanton and 106 from DJ LeMahieu with Juan Soto being Juan Soto and Aaron Judge being Aaron Judge, you're in like a really good place. And I know people want to ignore that, but I think this roster takes a lot of great lessons from this season in the sense that if you add good players like a full season of Aaron judge, like Juan Soto, you can reduce the importance of the guys you're worried about. Anthony Rizzo doesn't have to be the second best hitter on this team. He can be the fourth best hitter on this team. And that can be fine. You'd be the fifth best hitter on this team and it'd still be survivable. It doesn't rely on the young guys doing a lot. Oswaldo Cabrera doesn't need to get 400 plate appearances for this team. Oswald Barraza can hit his way into the lineup, but he doesn't have to. I think that is what gets me excited about a team and lineup constructed this way. And I got to be honest, Whipple, 
a team that's getting almost 28 fan graphs war from its hitters and has a starting rotation that's pitching to a 380 RA, I think that team's going to be like really freaking good. So the fact that the Yankees can get here without changing much is very exciting to me. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I'm going to talk about mine, but I'll just sit, give my feedback on, you know, where we might be similar, where we might differ. I think obviously the top of mine is the t- same as the top of yours. Like we both think Juan Soto is a priority for this team. And I think you're right in saying Juan Soto cures a lot of issues. And for reasons that are too obvious to even go into on this podcast. I mean, look, like <laughs> if the goal is to have high numbers, he has a high number of war. Like that's all you need to know. Yeah, um, but like he is <laughs> higher the- is better in that war column. <laughs> He's, I mean, he's just the best fit for so many reasons. And I think the price is going to be less than what people think it is. It makes, as you said, the pressure on the other guys less. I think that Juan Soto is the must-have player of this offseason. And absolutely. I think you're right in, you know, a lot of other changes, keeping them pretty consistent, not shaking things up too much. I think there is value in, in that consistency and especially in, you know, the Glaber Torres rumors. Obviously, you're never going to trade Glaber Torres in an offseason. Yeah, it was never going to happen ever. Right. But like a four war projection, I mean, like we we haven't been asleep at the wheel. If you've watched him the last two years, that's not a come out of nowhere projection. That's just a good it. player. It's just a good player. So, and the one place where I disagree, I don't really think the Yankees are, if they were not playing in the high end of the free agent market, I don't think they would pay up for the, the Imanga, the middle kind of tier pitcher. I think they've been very hesitant on the Japanese pitchers that aren't top of the market. And I can't really see them going there. But, you know, if you plug in another free agent starter or you just take some depth that you hadn't allocated in your your spreadsheet, like the, regardless, like having Mike King, Nestor Cortez, Cole Rodon, Rodon's projection of a three war is really good. Not that different than Cole's. I think there's a great some great foundational building blocks. And I think the idea of the pen being largely similar is kind of the right idea, too. Like this team, it might not look like the guys you have, but they're going to find the necessary pieces to Content, have a great bullpen and contend in that area so i mean like you said this team is really good without changing much and i think that's you know that's it's a lot different than what people think the yankees currently have right now and the numbers do bear it out but like obviously these numbers are there because of juan soto so like that's the caveat it looks a lot different if you don't get that top of the line bat and while the free agent trade market is kind of lacking in in depth it does have the high-end talents with the the fit you know that the yankees need and you know there might be other guys but really if it's not juan soto it's not nearly the projection that this one provides imanaga struck out 188 guys in 159 innings this past season i just want to point out i understand what you're saying that like the yankees wouldn't have found the guy who was next after tanaka and prioritized him but um I think when you consider how he projects versus when we go to your roster, how Yamamoto projects, like there's, it's not weird to think there's something there, but I, I see what you're saying with the way the Yankees have treated that market. And there's obviously a lot of smoke with the Yamamoto Yankees rumors, so it wouldn't be surprising. Let's dive into your roster. And again, for those of you watching on video, uh, the players who are, uh, have their names boxed on here are the differences between our two rosters. So Whipple, if you wouldn't mind just highlighting those yeah. as you walk through. Yeah. So 
as I said, my roster starts or my, my offseason playing started with Juan Soto. So I don't need to speak about that again. But in the outfield, I was thinking about Kevin Kiermaier, but I decided to expand my mental Soto trade and try to get a guy who I think walks a lot, is great defender, lefty bat on the younger side, but has struggled with the bat. So I think was would be a bit undervalued and isn't going to cost that much more. So I decided to include Trent Grisham. I also included Matt Carpenter as a salary offset. I think Carpenter could be on this team as a bench player, maybe like in the, you know, Jake Bowers role, but also like it's only 5 million and I don't, I'm not really tied to him. I think the the point was take on the money to get Grisham. It's also well. good vibes. Also good vibes. If it works, it would be great vibes. But Yeah, it would. So, so my kind of Dominguez um, replacement revolved around Grisham and then signing Randall Grichik. Randall Grichik can play center. He crushes lefties. He struggled in, in Anaheim, but re- did really well in Colorado. So I think that the talent is there, but the price wouldn't be prohibitive. Probably get him on a short deal. I would be happy if the Yankees got either one of these players. I think I'd like them both on my team and, you know, kind of being able to see which one is working better when Dominguez is ready to come back. Or as I think the real life Yankees might do, just really have the depth to slow play Dominguez's rehab and Mm -hmm. make his return more of a luxury rather than a necessity. So in my mind, getting the outfield help with Soto and the other players was really important. And in the Soto deal, I would imagine that would involve like maybe you said Clark Schmidt. I was thinking Mike King, but I don't think so. Let's let's talk about that because okay, there there are a few differences that I want to highlight on your roster versus mine, and some of them are absences. And my apologies, I forgot to circle Frankie Montas here. So what all? One thing I notice looking at your roster is Clark Schmidt isn't there, and Mike King isn't there. You have Juan Soto, Trent Grisham, and Matt Carpenter coming from the Padres. You have Brendan Donovan coming from the Cardinals. Are those, how, how do you see Mike King and Clark Schmidt ending up not on the Yankees? Yeah. So I see basically one of them in each trade. I think okay. in, in, in my mental calculation, I don't think this is like, locked in but i think you could interchange them i think each trade would have to have a major league ready starting pitcher and a minors a high minors prospect so that's also why everson Pereira isn't here i think he would be i would say probably more likely to be on the padres trade and either you know chase hampton drew thorpe adding one of them into the brendan donovan trade or the soto trade I just kind of had a collection of players and prospects I think would be in both of these trades. I think Will Warren was the other guy. So like in my mind, I think two of Warren, Hampton, and Thorpe, and both Schmidt and King and Pereira would kind of be distributed among these trades. That's where my my reasoning was. I I think the names don't matter as much as the players that I think will be on the Yankees. Um, But to as you mentioned, Donovan, um, something you'll notice is that Anthony Rizzo is not on my team. And yeah. Yeah, so this was like kind of the big realization is that I think that DJ LeMahieu should be the full-time first baseman. I think he's getting older. We saw him play it a lot last year and do really well. I don't know if I feel comfortable with him um, as a position other than third full-time. I would be comfortable with him as like the rover that he's been, but I don't feel 
I think what the last two months of the year showed me is I don't feel uncomfortable with DJ at first base. I also think this is kind of a nod to to you. The two nods I'm giving to you are Glaber Torres is on this team, and we don't need to keep lefties for the sake of keeping lefties. We're also Thank getting you. Brendan Donovan, so like that is a lefty, but I don't I didn't feel obligated to keep Rizzo because he was a lefty. I would rather cut bait a year early. I don't think you'd get that much. Maybe no. he's in the Soto trade because I know that was a point of interest. Maybe it's just a salary dump to get 10 million back elsewhere. But I would rather have a player I could commit to at third base and avoid the struggles that the Yankees had there this year. I would be comfortable with DJ LeMahieu at first base. I also feel like I could replace first base better than I could look for a third base replacement. And I don't feel that Anthony's Rizzo, Anthony Rizzo's presence on this team is the most necessary thing. So, so that was kind of my combination of factors. I think the concern that I would raise about DJ LeMahieu at first base is first base has a higher offensive expectation than Rover. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look just at Major League Baseball last year, the average WRC plus from first baseman was 111. DJ LeMay, who's projected at 106. So I think my question is, are you giving up value relative to the league at the position by putting DJ LeMayhew there? Probably yes. Where do you feel like, I mean, and maybe the answer is just Aaron Judge and Juan Soto, but like, where are you recouping the value that you're giving up positionally there? I think in two areas, you're maybe three, if you want to extend the question. One, you're bringing in a career 124 WRC plus player to play third, which is far and away better than what the Yankees were getting from there last year. It's two, true. you are moving some money because I do think that the Yankees would be able to dump salary. Anthony Rizzo in one year is a player that I think some team would pay some money for. And if you're able to keep Glaber Torres' salary, I think that is far and away a better player than you would get to play second base. That also sure. includes Oswald Peraza. And three, I think any amount of money to get Yamamoto is, is crucial. And this will go to the other part where, as you can see, I signed Yamamoto. I think the Yankees, much as I was thirsting over Tanaka a decade ago, I am all in on Yamamoto. I don't think he's more of a like i would rather get soto and not yamamoto but man like this is like real like i don't think there's ever been two players in the same offseason that i felt like this about because i think like this is like a garrett not Cole, mark Teixeira so and cc sabathia i don't think i was like as fixated on Teixeira because none of us like i i don't know i think cc was the guy like it's mm. cc cole tanaka yamamoto yeah Teixeira just i think the way that unfolded was just kind of it fell into their laps and obviously mm -hmm. they came out of nowhere um but i think all things equal it's obviously soto but you don't pass up the chance to get a 25 year old ace you know for money only and i think it wouldn't you know the commitment might be large but any deal he gets is going to get have some level of player opt-outs where i don't think it's as bad as people might think in fact, I would honestly up the price to give him more opt-outs if that would make the Yankees feel more comfortable. And I know that's still risk that they're taking on, but come on. I mean, like, unless he bombs, he's a like we we have seen his level of player come over and do really well and be yeah. in a position to trigger opt-outs. I don't think it's a tough call. And when you're the Yankees who are not drafting at the top of drafts, 
they are not often in a position to add this kind of premium talent for money. I think you have to do it. Like my offseason plan was centered around those two guys. And the Donovan addition comes from the Yankees having pitching depth and the Cardinals being pretty explicit already about wanting pitching. I think there is a match there. We've seen them talk already. I, I don't want them to settle. I want them to go and give some of their better pitching guys for Donovan. So that's kind of like the top line. The other additions, um, you'll see Montes is back. I think I, you probably don't agree. I, this was kind of like my last guy in, but I, think I don't hate Montes on a prove it deal. Like, I don't think he's yeah. going to command a bunch of money. I think like, I, I don't know how valuable, I mean, I guess it's 1.8 war. Like I was going to say, I don't know how valuable 128 innings of four ERA ball is. Could you get that from the combination of Johnny Brito and Randy Vasquez? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I think, you know, someone's got to have that spot. I don't have any problem with it. Yeah, I, I think either way, the contract isn't going to be prohibitive of anything else. Yeah, um, And on top of that, I like what you've done with the bullpen. Um, yeah. The bullpen was the place where I kind of basically said like, okay, hands off, not going to add really any money here. So I just put like Matt Moore on the team with the guys who are already there. Um, I like bringing back Wandy Peralta and Keenan Middleton. I think he's really good. I think it's not weird to think that Clayton Beater, who was just put on the 40-man roster, could make a difference and Brito really excelled when he was moved to the bullpen uh this past season so i like seeing him on there yeah um i think yeah, that, i think go ahead. Oh, i was just going to say i think that um if you don't resign middle like i traded canely to clear some money if you want to keep canely and not resign middleton like that's fine i just like wasn't in love with the Canely we were seeing. And I think sure. I really did like Middleton reliever Brito though. Like I want to see that. I think if you want to have Randy Vasquez as the shuttle starter, the Yankees have other starters. Yeah. Mitch Spence as a Mitch Spence, none the richer. It, we, we could see it, but like Johnny Brito, the bullpen, I feel like he's going down the, the road that we've seen, you know, yeah. the Chad green, Mike King, low Yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, that's where my thinking was there. And, and yep. I think the team that I put together just to conclude is like largely similar to yours. And it shows like two different ways to approach it. I think yeah, mine it would have ranked still outlay, but you know, it, it would have ranked the same in 2023 in hitter war WRC plus and starting pitcher war, uh, as the team I put together, which I think that shows with like a couple very good strategic acquisitions, how close the Yankees are to being a top team in baseball. Like it, it, I think right. reinforces the like, yeah, things are going to be bad when every single possible thing goes wrong, but probably not every single possible thing is going to go wrong that we've been, that we've been pre preaching last interesting thing. I don't know if anyone noticed this, but me, we both are just saying goodbye to Lou Trevino. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, four million for mostly rehab and return. I yeah. think it's an easy place to cut money. I'd be surprised if that didn't happen. Yeah, I I don't expect him to be back. Steamer projects him for 24 innings of four ERA ball. And yeah, that's that's not worth very much. So yeah. happy One trails. Place. Lou Trevino will miss you. Another thing I wanted to point out, and maybe this isn't like a super hot take, but I think some Yankees fans off season plans would have cutting bait on Stanton and neither of us went there. So what was your mindset with that? I mean, is it yeah. just obvious or, you know, there, there are two things at play there. First, I couldn't come up with a move to get rid of Stanton that I thought 
was like realistic and defensible. Um, the Yankees would have to eat a lot of money and I couldn't think of the player who they would take on from someone else to offset that money or, you know, why the team with whom they're trading is willing to make the deal. Um, I guess like maybe I could get back in my Taylor Ward bag and be like, oh, well, if Stanton wants to be back in California and, you know, the Angels are going to be bad or whatever. But like it would it would have been something pretty convoluted. And then on top of that, like this is the team that struggled to score runs and 450 plate appearances at a 114 WRC plus is like pretty valuable. Like he's going to run the bases terribly and he's not going to play any defense. And that isn't good. But if he's not blocking anyone and he's the best bat that you can put in the lineup and he is producing at that level. Like it feels, feels reasonable. Do you have any, any other thoughts on that? Yeah. I I think kind of what you said, you know, between him or someone like Rizzo, like who did I not want to see in another team's uniform? And clearly like, that's fair. There's a huge risk of Stanton turning it around with someone else, financial commitments, bigger. And it was important to me to get outfield depth so Stan would sure. not have to even think about playing the field, which, again, I know it's a big narrative that he, he's good for him. It helps him hit. But, like, we're at, we're past the point of, like, building yeah. narratives to help Stan hit better. Like, he's got a hit or he's not going to play. And I think the teams we constructed kind of take the burden. And, you know, if he's not going to hit, he's not going to play. So yeah. there you go. One question we got, this was from at Ryan Jack NYY on Twitter, who's uh, one of our most loyal followers. He asked, what are some different directions you could see the Yankees going after potential additions like Soto and or Yamamoto that might not be as expected more under the radar guys? I think our roster projections are both very on the radar. Even like Kevin Kiermeyer and Imanaga, um, maybe Grisham and Grichik and Carpenter to an extent count. Um, but I'm gonna go the same route I went at the trade deadline and just go raid the Giants. Um, this team could absolutely benefit from Mikey Stremski, Austin Slater, or JD Davis. Um, and I'd be very happy to see them pursue any of those guys. If you can get a 105 WRC plus at third base from JD Davis, who's going to walk 11% of the time and play basically adequate defense, you should do it. If you can stick Austin Slater at any outfield position and he's going to be a slightly above league average bat, I think you take that because that is not what you've been getting from the Aaron Hicks's and Isaiah Kiner's Falefa of the world. Um, and finally, Mike Ustremski is just a good hitter with power who can adequately play any outfield position. He is inexpensive and controllable for a few years. I don't have a good reason why the Giants would be willing to part with him, but I do have plenty of good reasons why the Yankees should be willing to pursue him if he's available. So yeah, just go raid the Giants. That is and has been my advice to the New York Yankees if they want to pursue guys who are kind of under the radar in trades. What yeah. about you? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that you've, you've been on the Giants beat and they have the players that would be good fits for the Yankees. 
I think that my roster had some of those moves. I don't think anyone expects Anthony Rizzo not to be a Yankee on opening yeah. day. Um, I, I think, again, it probably comes down to the outfield. Maybe they do something like, I guess the Donovan thing for me is like one of the things they could do in the infield, but I just think sure. the under the radar things are going to be probably in the outfield because it's so open. So aside from something like Grisham, you know, go raid the twins, go get Kepler. That's not, maybe that's more over the radar, but go like get Edward Julian. I, when we were initially playing around with this, I was thinking about trading Torres and bringing in a second baseman. And I decided to, raid the twins and get edward julian um <laughs> I, I i do like him he's he's a really good hitter who walks a lot and i think that would be valuable for the yankees probably i think it's funny valuable. that you decided to raid the twins and you came away not with jorge polanco who's rumored to be well, on I, the block yeah the real realistic not me playing around in the drafts raid of the twins is polanco or kepler i i yeah. think if we're all focused on Soto, you know, that's probably if for some chance that wasn't to happen, like that should be one of the main places the Yankees look for backup. I mean, Ryan Garcia's favorite Kepler had a great year last year. I think he'd be a great addition. Uh, one place they shouldn't go as we both kind of have come to the conclusion. I, I think we don't want them to get Jung Ho Lee. Um, no, I don't want Jung Ho Lee and I don't want Cody Bellinger. Yeah. I, I don't want Cody Bellinger, but I think I don't want Jung Ho Lee more because yeah, I agree. Bellinger, at least, like, has shown he can hit. Will probably hit well. Might be overpaid. Uh, Jungle Lee hits a few too many ground balls for my taste, which means and he projects a lot more than a, your taste. He, he projects as a single-digit home run guy. And that's yeah. just not... That's not how you win baseball games. If you're betting on him to be an outlier, it's, again, probably not a good bet to make. And I'm more in favor of someone like that than you. And if I'm out on them, that means you're definitely yeah. out of them. Yeah, from Yankees Homer, another loyal follower. Thoughts on the new hitting coach hire? The Yankees announced James Rosen, who was the hitting coach for the 2017 to 2019 Twins, formerly a Yankees minor league hitting coach, and later the Marlins bench coach and Tigers hitting coach as their new hitting coach this year. Um I don't really know what to make of coaching resumes, but the positive spin is he was the hitting coach on the team that set the MLB single season home run record, the 2019 twins. That team also didn't strike out very much. If that's the kind of thing you're into. My one concern about him is his teams have not tended to walk a lot. Um, walking is good and important. So I don't really know what to make of it, but he certainly understands the value of home runs better than Sean Casey did. So in that way, I got to say it's a positive. What say you? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of on the same page. I think the Dylan Lawson, very divisive tenure at this point. Uh, people are, I think, overlooking the fact that it really is not about Lawson's philosophy, which the Yankees have practiced and practiced well. It was a communication issue, which is impossible for us to judge. And in that respect, I can't really make any comments on it but if the Yankees are going to go from a guy who like you said was the hitting coach of the Homer Happy Twins has experience in their system has worked with players it seems like they are trying to blend that philosophy with perceived communication which is kind of where they were going with Sean Casey so I yeah it's hard to know it's probably not the like you know we're going to revolutionize the game of hitting like with Matt Blake but I it's as good as I think it can be and it doesn't make me feel bad. Um, and if Aaron judge is happy, I, I think we're happy, maybe not the best team building philosophy, but like, well, let's give him this and not let him like <laughs> sign guys. 
Yeah, let's give him this and not let him insist that batting average and runs batted in are the two most important statistics. Yeah. Aaron Judge someone, more. Someone teach Aaron Judge about OPS. Um, <laughs> shout out Aaron to everyone Judge, else. Aaron Judge and A-Rod need to like be in like remedial baseball. Stuff. They do. They do. It's funny, like Major League Baseball players who are good because they hit the ball really hard over the fence are convinced that the reason they're good is they do like all the things that their middle school baseball coach told them are important. And it's like, yeah. no, you're good because you hit the ball 500 feet and 120 miles an hour. You are not good because you're like care deeply about moving the runner over. Like those are, it's not why. Yeah. The yeah, A-Rod's good because he just has such a great mind for the game. You know, listening to him <laughs> speak, I just get inspired. <laughs> Madison Avenue. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh man. Uh, shout out to everyone else who sent in questions. E money. Shout out to Apostolos Romaglu, the Greek goat of the Yukon Huskies. Um, to those of you who wanted us to do over unders, we're going to do those with the real team once the off season has almost come to a close. And thank you all for your participation, except the random like antagonistic Red Sox fans who asked that we discuss topics that we obviously weren't going to discuss. Anyway, Whipple, that brings us to the end of this episode. I think the appropriate confidence rating to give is your confidence that the Yankees will put together a team that is at least as good as the one you put together on paper. Um, that's a good question because I think my team is probably financially a little ambitious, but mm -hmm. I also don't, I think maybe in past years I would have been not confident. I'm not not confident. I, I would say maybe like six and a half to seven in that question because they definitely are interested in the guys that I'm interested in and they look like they're willing to spend money. And if that all comes together, that's the missing three points of the confidence. But it seems like it's going to be an off season where they do things. And look, we said last year, like the Yankees were going to make moves. And despite everybody choosing to focus on between the time Rodon was signed in spring training, the Yankees signed Carlos Rodon and Aaron judge. Like that's, yeah, that's pretty good. Really good players. And I think there's going to be more tinkering around the margins this year, but if the Yankees sign or trade for the best hitter and one of the best pitchers on the market, I think it's going to look something like my team. So that's maybe I should be higher. I don't know. Speaking of one of the best pitchers on the market, the 2023 National League Cy Young Award was just won by Blake Snell. He joins Tim Lincecum and Corey Kluber in the that guy is two Cy Youngs club. And we should not ignore that he was pitching primarily to Gary Sanchez this past year, who is very good and should be a target of the New York Yankees, as should Mitch Garver, as should Jorge Soler, as should Aaron Nola, who I love. Um, my confidence. So I think the, the way to frame this is we both put together teams in which the Yankees have a top five or six starting rotation and a top like depending on the stat you're looking at two to five position player group. I think we should be supremely confident that the Yankees would do that. Cause that just means they're in the top 16 to 17% of major league baseball. Like it would be ridiculous for them not to be, I would say I'm at a nine or a 10 that they're going to put together a team. It may not look the way the team I constructed looks. It may not have 
Juan Soto and Shota Imanaga, and they may trade away some of the guys that they have and, you know, shift things around. But the idea that the Yankees would put together a team that projects to be at least that good, you know, top five in hitting and top five in pitching, I think it's exceedingly reasonable to expect that they would do that. In fact, I think we ought to be sorely disappointed if they don't. The Yankees should be embarrassed if they don't put together a team that projects to be, you know, a top five team in the league. And people are going to, you know, talk about 2023 or whatever. Like this team was projected to win like 99 games oh, by Dakota. So, so <laughs> yeah, it, it is, it is over. I think it's very reasonable that the Yankees would put together teams that are as good as the ones that we have designed here. I would say when you're thinking about that question, though, don't get obsessed with the names because people will be like, oh, you think there's a nine out of 10 chance that the Yankees end up with Juan Soto? Like, no, that's not what I said. But I think there's a very good chance that the Yankees put together a team that's as good as the one that I designed. And you'd be right to think so, too. Yeah, well, it's going to be a fun winter either way for for good or hopefully for good. Maybe hopefully for, for good. All right, Whipple, any parting shots from you before we wrap this one up? Well, we have stretched this as long as we can, and they haven't announced Ale Cy Young. And feel free to clip this by some catastrophic chance Garrett Cole does not win. But, and honestly, I would probably quit the pod. <laughs> Maybe not quit, but I would be severely depressed. In all likelihood, by the time you listen to this, Garrett Cole is going to be announced as Ale Cy Young. And I plan on going on an internet rampage tonight because... This guy was not ranked on the top 10 pitchers in baseball. This guy, I was told he was not an ace. I was told he was overrated, overpaid, a sticky stuff merchant, tighter <laughs> tack lover. I wore my Garrett Cole jersey more times than a human should wear a jersey anywhere to Fenway Park. And people booed me. They heckled me. And you know what? They're all wrong because Garrett Cole proved that he's worth every penny, that he's the best pitcher in baseball. If you didn't watch him in the playoffs last year, because you know what? You should have, because this was very obvious. This was going to be the case from, and from day one of spring training, it was just a completely different demeanor, a different attitude, almost mechanical. Even I think it's spring training. Like if you didn't know he was going to win Cy Young, it was apparent that something special was going to happen because he, there was not a moment this season where he stumbled, not a month of bad performance, not even like a week of bad performance. I think he had one back-to-back -back start where he gave up five runs and you know what? Like on a personal level, it's pretty cool to see your favorite player win an award, hopefully. But on for the New York Yankees, you know, this was such a risk giving a pitcher almost 10 years and over 300 million. And it's pretty cool that at this point, it is almost, you know, given the state of pitching around baseball, may, you could say he's underpaid. You could say he's underrated. You absolutely could. I'm just putting it out there for now. Let's just celebrate that we got to watch a great season. And I'm excited to see him next year with whoever joins the rotation with him. But no matter what, the Yankees are afforded a luxury, which pretty much no other team in baseball has, knowing that they have the guy who threw the most innings, pitched the lowest ERA. Like, that's the ultimate combo. Health, durability, performance. Garrett Cole is everything. So uh, shout out to Garrett Cole. And Garrett Cole only. And again, if he doesn't win, you can clip this and put it all over freezing cold takes. This is how I would have felt if Gary Sanchez had rightfully won Rookie <laughs> of the Year in 2016. I'd still be talking about it. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you've enjoyed our off-season plans. 
Hit us up on Twitter where we are at Yankees Files. Let us know what you think of them. You can also catch us at yankeesfiles.com. We are now on YouTube where we are at Yankees Files. And the podcast is, of course, as always, available wherever you get your podcast with the added bonus of video if you are listening on Spotify. We hope that you'll rate, review, and subscribe if you like the podcast. And we hope if you don't like the podcast, you'll just subscribe and then you'll like download it and listen to it a bunch of times to juice up our numbers. That's it for us. We will be back sometime, someplace uh, in the coming weeks to recap everything that's gone on in the offseason thus far. Until then, let's go Yankees.